0: Sports are politics, and vice versa, and the two have always been inextricably interwoven despite our society's best efforts to decouple the two. Fans looking to sports as an escape from our everyday world. Reporters, back in the days when they could freely yell out to each other across a crowded newsroom, derisively or enviously referring to sports as the quote-unquote toy department because of what they mistakenly thought was its lack of bearing on the real world. More recently, and nefariously I would add, separating sports and politics, or quote-unquote sticking to sports, has meant telling athletes from high school to the pros to shut up and dribble. We care about and pay attention to you because of what you do on the court or playing field, but we don't give a about what you do, or what happens to you, off it. That's just not right. On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we'll examine the reason why, whether we like it or not, sports are political. They are, as Spike Lee told New York Times columnist Kara Swisher on a recent episode of her podcast "Way," a reflection of society, politics, and everyday life.
1: I used to get in this argument with my wife all the time, okay, and she would say, "Why do you always turn to the back of the nice newspapers to read the sports section?" But if you read the sports section, that tells what's happening in the world.
0: Oh, really? Why?
1: Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali,
0: oh, fair, Billy fair.
1: Jean King. Yeah. I mean, uh, Serena. I mean, everything that's happened in the world, usually in you know, sports, gets it first. Yeah. Age of Orange when he.
2: May I just say that's what you call Trump? You're, you don't say. Yeah, I
1: don't say his name. Age of Orange when he demonized Colin Kaepernick for kneeling when he demonized black NFL players, National football players, and said they were, they were
0: unpatriotic. These words were never truer than in the context of March 11th, 2020. That day was, as the New York Times Sunday Review section so succinctly summarized it, in a March 14th headline marking the pandemic's first anniversary, the beginning of The Week of Reality. It's been difficult to grieve when the past 400-some days have left me feeling like I've been involuntarily cast in a real-life version of the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. And since March 11th, 2020, I've had this same quote from that film stuck in my head. What if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. I've lost my sense of time as one day blurs into the next. I have some very specific memories from the past year driving on the highway for the first time in three months, through the Cal Berkeley campus in the middle of what should have been a school day and not seeing a soul, and once through downtown on a bleak gray day, seeing nothing but empty shuttered window fronts and thinking for the first time, but not the last, that I might not live to see the end of the pandemic. But even if I looked at a calendar, I wouldn't be able to point to the day any of those particular events happened. But until I draw my final breath, the moment at 6.35 p.m. Pacific time on March 11th will remain etched in my memory. I was putting the finishing touches on a preview packet for a 2020 NCAA tournament that never happened. I hit refresh on the athletic website. Suddenly, a breaking news banner appeared. Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert tests positive for COVID-19. Of that moment... 32-year-old Washington, D.C. resident, Kelly Malahan, told the New York Times, quote, Seeing the NBA shut down on live television was a real, holy smokes, this is happening moment, unquote. Fans, due
1: to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight, and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. We are all safe. Please drive home safely, and good night, fans. This astounding and unprecedented story continues to evolve.
0: Rudy Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, that was learned in Oklahoma City prior to that game between the Jazz and the Thunder. Right now, the Thunder and Jazz, I'm told, are both quarantined in that arena. This is the last night of NBA games for the foreseeable future. Because there had been so little testing, even up until the last few days in this country, they didn't have a handle within this league about the potential for this. And now, as a player has tested positive for it, the, the ripple effects that has on his own team, on other teams, clearly this is, as you said, Scott, uncharted territory. That, courtesy of ESPN Sports Center. The NBA's decision to cancel the Jazz Thunder game and indefinitely suspend the rest of the season, and the seriousness with which the league was taking Gobert's positive COVID test, shocked those watching these events play out live on their computers and televisions. Of course, if you were listening to what was coming out of the White House at that point, it's no surprise you'd be left speechless. That's because Donald Trump, for his own selfish and self-involved reasons, did not want to level with the American people. This is what he was telling us less than two weeks before the NBA, followed by nearly every major sports organization in the world, shut down operations, and Earth descended into a nearly completely sportsless existence.
2: When you have 15 people, and the 15 within a couple of days is gonna be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. It's going to disappear one day. It's like a miracle, it will
0: disappear. Trump knew that none of what he was saying was anything close to the truth. That like much of what he would say over the next 10 and a half months, it would be load after load of the most foul and dangerous (laughs) imaginable. He said as much to Bob Woodward, the famed Washington Post journalist whose reporting on Watergate led to President Richard Nixon's resignation during a February 7th interview, clips of which, unfortunately, Woodward did not make public until his book Rage was published in September. Here, NPR's morning edition played some of the more incriminating things Trump Old woodward
2: it goes through air Bob that's always tougher than the touch you know the touch you don't have to touch things right but the air you just breathe the air and that's how it's uh, passed and so that's a very tricky one that's a very delicate one uh, it's also more deadly than your you know your even your strenuous flus I wanted to always play it down I still like playing it down yes sir. because I don't want to create a panic we don't want to run around screaming, shouting, oh, look at this, look at this. We have to show leadership. And leadership is all about confidence. And confidence is confidence in our country. It
0: was only on March 11th, when the NBA season was indefinitely postponed, that Trump began to even start to acknowledge the damage the COVID storm might wreak upon us.
2: The virus will not have a chance against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient than the United States. We have the best economy, the most advanced healthcare, and the most talented doctors, scientists, and researchers anywhere in the world. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, and unify together as one nation and one family. As history has proven time and time again, Americans always rise to the challenge and overcome adversity. Our future remains brighter than anyone can imagine. Acting with compassion and love, we will heal the sick, care for those in need, help our fellow citizens, and emerge from this challenge stronger and more unified than ever before. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you.
0: My own impression of that speech was that I was listening to a bored middle schooler deliver a book report on a book he'd barely skimmed. You knew when Trump's heart was in what he was saying, and that night, it most certainly was not. The speech really only served as a temporary pause on his cascade of crap and all-hands-on-deck attack on science. He never intended to follow or listen to science, even momentarily. Instead, he would shove anyone aside who didn't tow his company line, be it Surgeon General Jerome Adams, White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Dr. Deborah Birx, the Centers for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield, or the National Institute of Health, all of whom Trump overrode or silenced at one point or another between March and November. Trump even did it to our national pandemic superhero, Dr. Anthony Fauci, whom he repeatedly pilloried, culminating in this rant just two weeks before Election Day.
2: People are tired of COVID. I have the biggest rallies I've ever had, and we have COVID. People are saying whatever. Just leave us alone. They're tired of it. People are tired of hearing Fauci and all these idiots. These people, these people that have gotten it wrong. Fauci's a nice guy. He's been here for 500 years. He's a disaster. I mean, this guy, is, if I listen to him, we have 500,000 deaths.
0: Trump also never intended to even formulate a plan that consists of more than two words, like liberate Michigan or open school. Actually, the most thought he, his aides, and speechwriters put into any public pronouncement regarding COVID-19 came in his March 25th speech, just two weeks after sports shut down.
2: I want to thank the American people for the incredible sacrifices that they're making on behalf of our nation. And I want to encourage everyone to keep following our guidelines on social distancing, avoiding large gatherings, and hand-washing, and all of the other things that everybody knows they're supposed to be doing. Ultimately, the goal is to ease the guidelines and open things up to very large sections of our country as we near the end of our historic battle with the invisible enemy. I said earlier today that I hope we can do this by Easter. I think that would be a great thing for our country, and. We're all working very hard to make that a reality.
0: That same day, the headlines on sports pages across the world featured this statement from International Olympic Committee President Thomas
3: Bach. Today, I had a telephone conversation with uh, Prime Minister Abe. There we agreed in the analysis uh, of the development of uh, the virus in the last uh, couple of days where we see a dramatic increase uh, an outbreak uh, in Africa, in South America, in Oceania and in many parts of uh, the world. And a feeling uh, with all these uh, people whose life is uh, affected uh, so much, uh, who have so much uh, uncertainty, who fear of their existence, and in order to uh, safeguard the health of uh, the athletes and everybody involved in the Olympic Games and to make a contribution to the containment of uh, the coronavirus, uh, we agreed uh, to postpone uh, the uh, Olympic Games uh, Tokyo 2020 to uh, 21. Yup, you heard that right.
0: Trump said he wanted to reopen America the same day both the IOC and Olympic organizers in Japan, including the country's prime minister, citing outbreaks around the globe decided to postpone the Olympic Games. To put that decision in perspective, the Olympics had never before been postponed for anything other than a war. And unlike Trump, sports officials had been expecting and planning for weeks at that point for the inevitability that despite their precautions, the coronavirus pandemic would force them to put sports on pause. On March 1st, the NBA sent a memo to teams in which the league outlined the preventive measures players should take to decrease their risk of catching the coronavirus. Avoid high-fiving and fist-bumping fans, and also it cautioned them not to take items from fans to autograph, which at that point was a pre-game routine for most players. Players and league employees were also advised to wash their hands often and use hand sanitizer as an additional option. Other details in the note included information on how coronavirus is spread, symptoms and actions the league had already taken, including consulting with an infectious disease researcher at Columbia University. That memo, first obtained by CNBC, details what the NBA was grappling with. The desire to continue the season, despite the near-crippling fear that the flu Golden State Warriors star Stephen Curry was suffering from, could actually be COVID and that such an occurrence would force the league to stop its season indefinitely. And just think about all the horrific world events that did not dent sports in the same way the coronavirus pandemic has. World War II, 9-11, even a terrorist attack at the 1972 Olympic Games in Munich, during which two Israeli athletes were killed and nine more taken hostage. On July 5th, when major league baseball owners were suggesting there could be fans in the stands before the season ended. Washington Nationals pitcher Sean Doolittle told reporters his opinion regarding the role of sports in American society. We're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And like, look at where other developed countries are
1: in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. When
0: I first heard him say this in the midst of the scariest time of my life, and that includes living less than two miles from the World Trade Center on 9-11, I completely agreed with him. I was full of anger at the people I saw as pandemic deniers, particularly the defiantly maskless and the college football coaches who held practices and meetings in preparation for the 2020 season, despite the fact COVID was spreading like wildfire among their athletes and staff. Looking back now, with the perspective of time and lived experience of trying to survive a global pandemic, I'm of a mind that sports is not a reward for a functioning society. Instead, I view it as the defining marker to use to measure how well a society is functioning. And on March 11th, and then on the 12th, we watched and listened as CNN's Chris Cuomo, Charles Barkley and Reese Davis on ESPN, and Danny Parkins and Dan Bernstein for Chicago's 670 The Score described, in real time, the United States of America grinding to a dead halt.
1: We're waiting on the president of the United States right now, finally coming to address the nation. Here he is. Tom Hanks just tweeted. He and his wife, Rita, are in Australia. Okay, they don't feel great. They got tested. They have coronavirus. We're just getting details on this huge breaking news from the sports world. The NBA is going to suspend all games until further notice.
4: This is unprecedented territory. This whole Rudy Gobert thing is scary because you guys did a fantastic job of show where he's been like the last 10 days. I mean, they were in in five or six different states. And these guys have been around their families. They've been around their kids. They've been around all the workers in the locker room. And I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to get in trouble. Turner Sports and CBS got to close down March Madness.
2: Welcome you back to the studio and Sports Centers. We covered this sort of surreal day in college basketball. Thirteen conference tournaments have been canceled. The Big East, the latest to do so, canceling their tournament literally at halftime of the Creighton and St. John's game and sending teams on their way. The SEC just. Uh, canceled its tournament and announced the suspension of on-campus events until March 30th. The Big 12
1: has also announced cancellations and suspensions. We haven't had a national emergency declared yet. That hasn't even happened. Right, yet. that's been happening on a local level, right? Correct, there's a, there's state a, there's, level yeah. or, or, or local level. We've not had a national emergency declared. New York, Cuomo called in the National Guard to surround New Rochelle. Right, I saw that. So that's already you've already had a paramilitary action to quarantine an area and, and keep so that that's the start of things. There there will be more of that. Breaking news. Sham Charania has announced the NCAA canceled the men's and women's basketball tournaments in March Madness. So canceled. Yep, there Bruce canceled. Feldman has it too. Mark Emmert, the Board of Governors, canceled the Division One men's and women's twenty twenty basketball tournaments, as well as all remaining winter and spring NCAA championships.
0: Wow! How could there not have been a national emergency declared on March 11th? Look where we were headed within 18 hours of Trump's primetime address to the nation. With few exceptions, sports were toast. BetOnline.ag brand manager Dave Mason told 670 The Score midday host Dan Bernstein last April 10th that with his book unable to take bets on NCAA tournament games, horse races, MLB, NBA and myriad sports events. They were instead filling their sports content with events run by leagues they themselves had never heard of before.
4: It's been a crazy month or so or however long it's been since, you know, the NBA went down and then there's that tsunami of a few days where sports are biting the dust left and right. The first thing we did was we looked around the world to see what kind of sporting events were going on. There were some leagues and some sports still going on that we might not have had on our sites. So we got a lot of different sports and leagues put on our site within a day or two, something like Russian table tennis. We thought, oh, my God, what is this? Some site halfway around the world is all for odds on Russian table tennis. So we're like, "Eh, put it on the site. We'll take a few bets on it, whatever. At least we just have some content and odds on our site. And lo and behold, people are betting the heck out of it. Even kind of silly stuff like these marble races that happened over the last few weeks. We had a guy handicapping these marble races that are shown on some guy's YouTube page, putting odds on that.
0: That guy Mason was referring to, that's Greg Woods, play-by-play announcer for what was suddenly the most popular sport on the planet. The Hill is ready. Our competitors chomping at the bit to get back on
1: the sand for Season 5 of the Sand Marble Rally. Hello everyone and welcome, I'm Craig Woods. There you see the slightly different starting lineup numbers, how they will be judged as they sit in the starting gate. The sand is not in the best of conditions, it's going to be a very difficult race, but would we want anything else to start a Sand Marble Rally season? I don't think so. And down they go, Black Knight leading the way to get this season going with Super Bowl in second. Now we're well into sector two, nearing the finish line. Here comes a challenge from Cool Moody, right in the draft. Crazy Cat's Eye is gonna hold on to
0: take the win. If fanatical sports bettors are turning their full attention to marble racing and Russian table tennis, obviously something is going egregiously wrong, despite desperate politicians inane attempts to convince us otherwise.
1: You can come to a polling place and do it safely. You have the ability to do curbside
0: voting, just like they're doing here, even if it's in a different municipality without drive-up voting. You can request that the person come out, they'll deliver you a ballot, they'll check your ID. You are incredibly safe to go out. So I think that's why people have to use their own best judgment. They have to make sure that if they're uh, compromised in any way or worry about the safety of their family, that they do it really smartly. But I look at what's happening here today, and it really makes me proud that the people who run our elections are doing it professionally, but they're also doing it in a way that makes people as safe as they possibly can be, just as safe as they would be when they go out of their house to get groceries or anything else that they need to live their daily life. That was Republican Robin Voss. Speaker of the Wisconsin State Legislature, gaslighting his fellow Wisconsinites the morning of the Wisconsin primary on April 7th. Sure, he was speaking from a drive through polling station, but that was in a Wisconsin district whose largest town has a population of about 11,000. This is not at all how it was set up for those voters in places like Milwaukee and Madison, who were made to stand in line for hours, waiting to vote, fearful of catching the coronavirus. And remember, This was early on in the pandemic when PPE were near on impossible to find, even for emergency medical workers, and we thought it was possible to transmit the virus by touching an infected surface, like a grocery bag. Had it been quote-unquote incredibly safe, as Voss told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, for voters to head to the polls amidst a pandemic, at a time when people were MacGyvering homemade masks out of t-shirts and rubber bands, There would also have been a sports schedule chock full of NHL playoff games, late season NBA games, early season Major League Baseball games, and we'd be getting ready to watch Tiger Woods defend his 2019 Masters Championship. Instead, those sports hit pause on their seasons and started planning, in a way the White House would not, to put together a COVID-19 protocol that would allow them to safely continue or start their respective seasons. Come fall, while the NFL was fining players, coaches, and organizations for failing to adhere to its mask mandates and other COVID-19 protocols, even going so far as to force the Denver Broncos to play a game without a quarterback on the roster after all four of them were suspended for breaking league rules, the White House was busy telling anyone who would listen that COVID-19 was a hoax that would go away after the election. They were throwing super spreader events and going about their work days in the West Wing, maskless. So it could hardly have been a shock when CNN anchor Chris Cuomo reported this breaking news on October second.
1: So the big headline is President Trump hospitalized for COVID-19.
0: Yeah, shocking. After hearing him talk up household bleach in April and then in May the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine as preventive measures.
2: I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. A lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. And you'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it a couple of weeks ago. I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it?
0: This, despite the facts, there is no proof that bleach does anything other than remove stains from clothing and send people to the hospital if ingested, and that the Food and Drug Administration had warned that hydroxychloroquine should not be used for COVID-19 prevention because it could cause irregular heartbeats and other cardiac trauma. Although Trump went all in with actual COVID-19 vaccines on his election campaign, and the fact he himself has been vaccinated, he's done absolutely nothing to promote vaccination efforts since October. Here again, sports beat him to the punch. Back in January, the NBA released an ad featuring Hall of Famer and activist, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in order to promote and encourage Americans to get vaccinated.
3: Hi, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Because of the COVID-19 virus, we have had to learn new ways to be together. We've had to find new ways to communicate. (laughs) We have to find new ways to play. And we have to find new ways to keep each other safe. For myself and my family, I'm going to take the COVID-19 vaccine. To learn more about the vaccine, go to cdc.gov. Let's do this together.
0: Fingers crossed their efforts are successful. There's a reason President Joe Biden chose March 11th to mark the first anniversary of the pandemic and the day the world changed. It didn't change as a result of anything that happened in politics, ESPN NBA writer Royce Young told The Morning Animals on WWLS-FM in Oklahoma City. But instead, because of the decision made by the NBA. A
2: global pandemic, it's like this slow trickle, right? Like, it's like, you know, you can show images on TV, but there's no event, there's no moment where anything happened.
1: But what happened in Chesapeake Energy Arena was kind of the event, right? Like, I mean, that was kind of like the beginning of something, and that was kind of the dramatic made-for-TV stuff
2: where everybody's trying to figure out what exactly is going on, because then, you know, it wasn't just Rudy Gobert at the Thunder game. It was Tom Hanks testing positive later that night as well. So, I mean, like,
1: that whole day was kind of the day that, like, and you know, it's not the day the virus started by any means, and it's not the day the virus came to America, but it is the day that it kind of, like, that the pandemic became real to America in a
0: lot of ways. Looking back now more than a year later, as ESPN NBA reporter Adrian Wojnarowski told SportsCenter anchor Scott Van Pelt on the March 11th episode of his podcast, The SV Pod, there is so much more we could have known at the time had the White House leveled with us. All they were talking to me about was the virus and what the league's doctors were, every day they were getting a zillion memos from the league hey, you've got to prepare for this. This is coming. The NBA was preparing its teams in a way that the United States government wasn't preparing its citizens. I wonder if we as a nation would have been better prepared for what was to come had it been the NBA, for example, rather than the Trump White House, giving us the pertinent information we could have used to prepare for what was to come. But after listening to Van Pelt and ESPN NBA reporter Malika Andrews reflect on the emotions they felt a year ago, I don't know how much better we would have done on an individual level.
1: In my mind like remember where we were mentally with what that virus was in mm-hmm. March of 2020. Like I was imagining Contagion, helicopters overhead, yeah. the jazz are just living in this locker room for a month. They're not allowed to leave. I think I said I don't I don't know that scared was the word because I don't think there was enough information for people to be scared, but right. everyone was nervous and everyone was uneasy. That was, was that was the feeling. That was a life changing moment for all of us. Every single thing in our country changed as a result of what happened that night. Because the, the, remember, Hanks got it right, and there's all the sense mm-hmm. like, oh my God, America's favorite dad got it. But then it was Gobert getting it and the NBA pulling the plug that everything
0: in our country changed as a result of that. Every single thing. In a December ESPN 30 for 30 podcast, Van Pelt said he remembered driving home from Bristol the night of March 11th, alone on Interstate 84, with no other cars on the road, and thinking quote, everything looked familiar, but nothing felt the same. Holy shit. What is this all about? What is this going to mean? Everything stopped. You knew 2020 for the world had taken a massive turn, unquote. The reason it did was because the NBA shut down and the dominoes fell from there. The next day when the NCAA did what even some sports catchers thought would never happen and canceled its basketball tournament, I was out of a job. Newly unemployed at the beginning of a national shutdown in the midst of a global pandemic, I was, to say the least, adrift. I was one of what would be 10 weeks later, 40 million unemployed Americans, with no idea what to do next. I did what I always do when I need to find my bearings. I grabbed my running shoes and headphones and flipped on my favorite sports talk radio station, Chicago's 670 The Score. They broke the ice with a parody of the NCAA championship game rollout, in which CBS plays the song One Shining Moment over the tournament's best highlights. The parody lasted maybe 15 seconds, and consisted of just one sentence.
1: Breaking news, Jam Sharania has announced the NCAA canceled the men's and women's basketball tournaments in March Madness.
0: That left me bent over double in laughter for the first time in the pandemic. And then I heard host Dan Bernstein read something that has stuck with me, and I've tried to live by for the past year written by Rabbi Yosef Konefsky of the B'nai David Judea Congregation in Los Angeles. One of the brand new terms that's entered our daily conversation
1: is social distancing. It is shorthand, as we know very well, for the practical, physical precautions that we all need to and must take in order to protect ourselves and others. I'd humbly suggest, though, that we use the term itself sparingly, if at all. Language is a powerful shaper of thinking, and the very last thing we need right now is a mindset of mutual distancing. We actually need to be thinking in the exact opposite way. Every hand that we don't shake must become a phone call that we place. Every embrace that we avoid must become a verbal expression of warmth and concern. Every inch and every foot that we physically place between ourselves and another must become a thought as to how we might be of help to that other should the need arise. It is obvious that distancing, if misplaced or misunderstood, will take its toll not only upon our community strength and resiliency, but on the very integrity and meaning of our human commitment.
0: Those are the smartest, most meaningful words I've heard throughout this pandemic, and they were not spoken by any politician or newsmaker. Instead, the words I think we should try to live by, even after the pandemic ends, were spoken on a 50,000-watt sports talk radio station. So, if sports are politics and politics are sports, when it comes to the greatest natural disaster in the lifetime of just about every single person on this planet, it stands to reason that the two are inextricably interwoven when it comes to every other matter in politics and society. Like civil rights, social justice, and racial and gender equality. When it comes to sports and politics, there's no just stick to sports anymore. The two just can't be, won't be, unstuck. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was written, voiced, edited, and produced by me, Jake Williams. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and leave a review and rating on iTunes. Thank you for listening.